I'll pray then we'll jump into Revelation chapter 18. Father, thank you for your word and we just pray that you give us understanding today as we dig in and help us to apply these very pertinent truths and applications to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Revelation 18, the history, future and fall of Mystery Babylon, a false economic or commercial system that started all the way back at the Tower of Babel with Nimrod. So, just going to revise what we did in the last couple of weeks, and we've been studying chapter 17 and 18. Basically, the big picture is that Revelation 6 through 19 is the tribulation, and the last three and a half years is the great tribulation. It's the last seven years decreed or allocated to Israel based on Daniel 9.27. And in the book of Revelation, in chapters 6 through 19, some of the chapters are chronological, which means they carry the storyline forwards. They detail the order of events. And so those chapters are the ones that include or tell about the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and the seven bowl judgments. And then the last one of the tribulation is chapter 19, which describes the second coming of Christ. So these are all chronological events, things that happen, the events that happen in the tribulation. So the other chapters are vignettes. A vignette is a short story or a sketch or a portrait that describes the origin, background, history, and role of the main people, events, organizations, and systems present during the tribulation. So what we're learning about in chapters 17 and 18 are vignettes or portraits that describe two things. In chapter 17, you have the counterfeit religious system, the mystery of Babylon religion. And in chapter 18, it talks about the commercial or economic system. And they both go back to the plains of Shinar around Babylon in Iraq, back in the days of Nimrod, not long after the flood, when Nimrod was uniting all of mankind together to rebel against God. So it wasn't Nimrod so much, but Satan. Now, Satan was trying to turn man against God and keep them in his grip, and keep them deceived. And he has two main strategies. The first one is Revelation 17. It's a false or counterfeit religion and an evil economic world system. So these two systems have, since the Tower of Babel, worked hand in hand to persecute and kill the true believers and all the while keeping the rest of mankind deceived and in bondage to Satan and sin. So back then, if you go back to Genesis 11 and that, Satan almost succeeded in creating a true one-world religious system and a true one-world government. All the Earth's population at that time was gathered on the plains of China. Maybe this is only a relatively short time after the flood, a few generations after the flood. So all the people were there, and Satan's goal was to unite everyone to rebel against God. But God at that time, it wasn't time for that. It wasn't his plan. And so God disrupted Satan's plan by confusing the languages, he created 70 new languages, 70 family groups, I believe, if I remember rightly, uh, which forced the family groups to go off and obey God's original command to fill the earth and multiply. But you know what? The picture we get 
in the book of Revelation is that there will be, in the tribulation period, the realization of this plan of Satan to have a one world government and a one world religion to control the world. And that's what Revelation 17 and 18 are all about. The chapter 17 talks about the mystery Babylon religious system and chapter 18 about the economic system. So it doesn't have to be a one world government or economic system to be dangerous and to be evil. At the moment it's not a one world economic system. We are all differentiated. We're not centralized. But in the tribulation it will be centralized into one city under one leader, the Antichrist. But it's not going to last long, fortunately. At the end of that seven years, Jesus comes back and he destroys the Antichrist and this world economic system. And then he reigns for a thousand years on a regenerated earth. And so we have a lot to look forward to. Now, I was going to quickly summarize what we've done in Revelation 17. So Revelation 17 describes this false religious system that is basically a false trinity. So I'm going to put this up on the screen or you can look at your notes there, it's all right. Our trinity, the Bible's trinity, the true trinity is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Satan has a counterfeit trinity. Satan is always trying to deceive and doing a takeoff of things, right? So Nimrod is like a picture of the Father. He's like the Lord of Heaven in this false religion. Tamuz is a takeoff or counterfeit son or Messiah, the Son of God or Messiah. And Semiramis calls herself the Queen of Heaven, and she's like a takeoff or a counterfeit Holy Spirit. So Tamuz is also a counterfeit Saviour, complete with a counterfeit virgin birth and a counterfeit resurrection. So right back then, Satan could foresee from what was already written in the scriptures in Genesis and that, what God had already said, and he's going, well, I know that God is a trinity. I know that God has said that the Messiah must come from the seed of the woman, which means not from the man. That's virgin birth. He knows there must be a sacrifice, and so he puts it all together and makes a counterfeit gospel. So where do these three people come from, Nimrod, Tammuz, and Semiramis? Well, Ham, remember the sons of Noah? Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they survived the flood in the ark. But he had a son named Cush, so Ham had a son named Cush. And Cush had a daughter named Semiramis. Cush had an incestuous relationship with his daughter Semiramis and begat Nimrod. Nimrod married Semiramis who was his sister and mother, and they begat Tamuz on December 25th. So you can see how deeply embedded this false religion is in our modern society, even still. And it goes back to the Roman Catholic Church, the Church being married to the world system back in the days of Constantine in 323. So I'm going to put up a chart now, and it shows how this counterfeit religion which is really a counterfeit gospel, has been passed on through the ages from one world empire or country to the next. The only things that have changed really are the names. So, Nimrod. For the Israelites, he was called Baal. 
for the nations are called El, uh, for Babylon he's called Belus, and you know, when Nebuchadnezzar changed the names of the Daniel and his three friends, it was like Bel something, so, you know, after Nimrod. Uh, in the Greece, it was Zeus, Rome, it was Jupiter. Going on to Tamuz, and there's Bacchus, there's Hercules, there's Dionysus, there's Krishna for India. For Semiramis, for the Israelites, they called her Ashtaroth. Uh, the Babylon, they called it Ishtar, or Easter, as it's called, and that's why we celebrate Easter. That's the original celebration of that's why Easter doesn't fall on Passover. It's a pagan holiday. It's been converted to a Christian holiday, which is okay. We can still share the gospel. Greece, Aphrodite, um, Rome, Diana. Remember Paul, the Temple of Diana? And off you go. So basically you can see that this mystery Babylon religion, this false religious system has been alive and strong, alive and kicking all this time. And it still is today. So we also learnt last week that astrology and the whole horoscope thing, where you look to the stars to predict your future, also started at the Tower of Babel and is also a part of this false religious system. And that was Isaiah 47 we read last week. So overall, this false religious system called Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth in Revelation 17.5, was designed by Satan to offer people a false saviour, a false god, a false gospel, and a false salvation, false knowledge, and false wisdom. So all in all, it's nothing more than a false hope. <laughs> it's like a dream. But unfortunately, when people wake up, they will find themselves in hell because it's not going to save them. In addition, the worship of these three false gods and this false religious system is going to be pleasing to the flesh. It's designed to satisfy the desires of our sinful human nature. There's lots of sensual and sexual rituals, drug use, and the promise to make one happy, content, and prosperous. So I think this has really come into the church overall. It's infiltrated. And we learnt last week this false religious system will be centralised in Rome for the first half of the tribulation before being destroyed by the Antichrist and the ten kings of the revived Roman Empire at the halfway point of the seven-year tribulation. And you can see Revelation 17, 16-17 for that. And I believe the reason is that the Antichrist is going to be assassinated. He'll rise from the dead at the midpoint of the tribulation. And it's at that point that he'll be wanting to be worshipped as God, and that he won't want this other system. He won't need this other system. It's done its job. It's brought all the people into subjection to him, and he's in now total control, worshipping the statue of the Antichrist. You do that or you die. Take the mark or you die. So now we move on to the Mystery Babylon false economic system. So this economic system, this commercial system, is designed essentially to satisfy the cravings or desires of my sinful nature. Very clever, Satan is. Okay? Very deceitful, because you look at it and it looks normal, it looks nice, but my desires for wealth, pleasure, ambition, anything my human nature could ever want is there. Okay? So Satan is drawing us away. I'm just going to put 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17 
up, it says, do not love this world. Now, the world there is cosmos. It's not talking about the rocks and the trees and the flowers. It's talking about this world system. It's talking about the system that runs the world. So, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world system, this economic system, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world system offers only a craving, that is the desire or lust, for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world system, cosmos. And this world system is fading or passing away. Everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So just having a quick look at verse 16 there in 1 John chapter 2. And this world system is fading or passing away. So what we're going to see today in Revelation chapter 18 is exactly how this world system passes away. God is going to do it. He's going to destroy it. And I'm just going to read 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 from the Amplified Bible. And it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that is the craving for sensual or physical gratification, and the lust of the eyes, that is the greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life, that is the assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things. These do not come from the Father, but are from the world itself, the world system. So, from pornography to Porsches, drunkenness to dream holidays, promiscuity to promotions, addictions to adulation, education to entertainment, money to movies, games to gambling, techno to technology, the world economic system, the commercial system, caters to my every selfish, sinful desire. It seeks to draw me in and get me hooked. Now, if you've seen the movie Pilgrim's Progress, or read the book, there's a town in there called Vanity Fair, and that's the allegory of the world system. You find everything you want there except the things of God. So, we're tempted, I'm tempted to live for it and give my everything to it, my love and my affections, my money, my talents, my time, my resources. And I can so easily become a slave to this world system. And going back to 1 John 2.15, do not love this world system, cosmos, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world system, you do not have the love of the Father in you. So what's the main word there? What is it saying not to do? And what is it saying to do? It says, do not love okay, this world system, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world system, So the system that Satan has made is seeking my affections, my love, my heart. He wants it wants my heart. Okay. So this is why I have to choose who I will love. I can't love both the world system and the Father at the same time. And Jesus said it well in Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon means riches or wealth. Now, 
It's interesting because in Revelation 18, Jesus says, Come out of her, lest you share in her sins, and then you share in her plagues, that is, her judgments. So he says, My people come out of her. So the warning for us, the application for us, is that even believers can get caught up in this world system and then also suffer the consequences. So, yes, I am still saved, but the temporary honour, favour, riches and rewards that I gain down here are the eternal honour, favours, riches and rewards that I forfeit receiving both now and in heaven forever. So is it really worth it? I get those things here, but it's temporary, and I forfeit all those things that I could be receiving in heaven. So consider when I stand before Christ as a believer at the beam of seat judgment, everything that I invested into this world system will be burned up. If my focus has been finding satisfaction in the things of this world, like my job, you know, my career, my family, all that kind of stuff, sports, hobbies, you name it, then I will have very little to show for my life when I stand before God. So the beam of seat judgment is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 12-15. So I'll just read that to you. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder, that believer, will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder, the believer, will suffer great loss. The builder, believer, will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So, it's pretty clear there, isn't it? The believer... The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flame. So our life, all our lives, we are building. But what are we building? Is it something that's going to last or something that's temporary? So I want to just ask one more question, because some people might be saying, oh, why did God allow Satan to establish these two systems, this counterfeit religious system, this counterfeit gospel? and this evil, wicked economic or commercial system. Why has he allowed them to continue, for basically since after the flood, and it will continue until Jesus comes back, to deceive people and persecute and kill true believers? Well, I was thinking about it, and you know, in the Garden of Eden, God created two unique trees. One was the tree of life, and the other tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a test from God. God was giving Adam and Eve the opportunity to choose to love him. What do you read in First John? Do not love the things of the world. So if you turn that around, it's saying love God. Do love God. Don't love the things of the world. Do love God. Yeah, that's the opposite. So for there to be true love, there must be a choice. God didn't create mankind as robots programmed to obey him automatically. So God's choice for them was this. If he wanted to stay in relationship with me, to choose to remain in my love, to love me, 
then you must trust me and obey me by not eating of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now God clearly told Adam that eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would mean death. First, spiritual death, which is separation from God, and then physical death as her body started to die as a result of the curse. So God is still calling on us to choose today. Will I choose to love God and seek his kingdom and his righteousness to be in relationship with him? Or will I choose to love Satan and seek his kingdom and his evil ways? Do things my way and not God's way. That's the choice we still have. And that's why I believe that God has allowed this to be here. It's a choice. He's giving us something else to love. We need to choose to love God or we will choose to love the world. It's one or the other. This world system. Okay, so let's start going through chapter 8, verse by verse. And something we need to remember that it talks about Babylon. It started in Babylon, but it didn't stay in Babylon. Okay, so at the end of chapter 17, it describes the religious center for this false religion as being in Rome the city that was ruling at the time when John was writing the book of Revelation. So Babylon is a picture of this economic system. So that's why I call it Mystery Babylon Economic System. The Bible doesn't use the word Mystery Babylon Economic System, but I use that just to remind us that it's not talking about the literal city of Babylon in Iraq. It's talking about a world system. So I call it mystery because it's not literal. It's a real system, but it's not based in Babylon as such. Right now, it's not based anywhere. It's kind of spread out. But in the tribulation period, it'll be based most likely in Rome, in the revived Roman Empire. So, Revelation 18, 1-3. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury, and literally sensuality and lust. So, another angel, verse 1. There's two words for another. It's another of the same kind or another of a different kind. Well, here it means an angel of the same kind. Alon, in the Greek. So, it's another of the same kind of angel that spoke with John in Revelation chapter 17, verse 1, when it talked about the false religious system, Mystery Babylon the religious system. It's another one of these seven angels who had the seven bowls when they poured out the wrath of God on the earth for that last seven judgments. And it says the earth was illuminated with his glory. So, and he's really, really bright. Don't underestimate how powerful God made the angels. So, most likely these are archangels 
one of the most powerful ranks of angels. So, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. Now, Babylon hasn't fallen yet. But when God speaks of future events, he often talks about them as being already completed. It's because when God says something, it's as good as done. Because he is in control and he has perfect foreknowledge, he can say something and talk about it as being done, as being passed, when it hasn't happened yet. That's the assurance that we have in that what God says will come to pass. And has become a dwelling place of demons. So this once great, you know, splendid city, which had all these riches and all this glory and all this esteem, is going to be transformed into something so terrible that there's nothing that could be more despised and more rejected. It's gone from being worshipped and loved to being utterly rejected and utterly despised. So there's going to be nothing left. When God destroys it, there's nothing left. It's just a ruin. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. So fornication is literally sexual immorality. But in the scripture, it's used as a metaphor for being spiritually unfaithful, for having other gods or idols ahead of God. So the unbeliever puts the world system ahead of God, making it more important than God. So when Israel did it, God described it as spiritual adultery because they were married to him, right? So adultery is when you are unfaithful to your spouse, whereas fornication is just when you're unfaithful. So... The unbelievers are committing fornication, spiritual fornication. They're worshipping this world system instead of loving God. And the abundance of a luxury. So Mystery Babylon's economic system sins also included pride, greed, sensuality or lust, and selfishly held wealth. And as I said, luxury literally means to live sensually or lustfully. Consider how companies market their goods. You know, what do they see on TV? A good-looking girl or whatever, you know. They use sensual and lustful images. And also consider what one of the biggest commodities or products is in the world today. Pornography. And I was just interested to find out what it's worth. It's $97 billion worldwide. So that's just one industry. And then you've got all the other... Industries based on sexual things, you know, human trafficking and stuff like that, sex slaves. So, Revelation 18, 4-5, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So, come out of her, lest you share in her sins. We can't be a part of the mystery Babylon religion because that's basically worshipping demons. As a believer, you know that that's wrong. You just don't do it. I can't think of any Christian I know who worships demons, who makes a deliberate choice to worship a demon because God is in them and they just don't do it. But I know many Christians, and even myself sometimes, are tempted to be drawn into the things of the world. So the 
the false religious system is something you have to come out of completely and in Christ's family, but the commercial or economic system, this world system, still is a danger to us because we still have our sin nature. We have two natures. We have a new nature and our sin nature. And this economic world system is appealing to our old nature. It's a constant threat and we need to guard against it. Remember what Jesus said? We're in the world but not of the world. The boat should be in the water but the water should not be in the boat. And Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17 that we would be in the world but not of the world and God would keep us from the world. So in verse 4 it says, Lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. Lot is a really good example. So in Genesis 19, Lot is a really good example here. So I'll talk about Lot for a little bit. God's people can be in a place where they shouldn't be, a place which is ripe for destruction. We will reap what we sow. If I give my affections over to this world system, then I'll also share in the judgment of that system. In the sense that, like Lot, I will have lost or wasted all the time, money, effort and talents that could have been used to gain eternal reward in God's kingdom. So this is in addition to suffering the negative practical consequences that come with seeking satisfaction from worldly things. And, you know, think of Lot. What happened to his daughters? They became so depraved and influenced by this pagan evil culture, this world culture, this world system that Lot had inserted himself into and become a leader in this evil town. His daughters were badly affected by this. His wife was badly affected and she couldn't walk away. She was so attached to the things in Sodom, to this world system, that she turned back. The angel said, don't look back. And she looked back. She was too strongly attached to it. She could not turn away. And Lot lost his wife. And, you know, what happened later on was Lot would never be the same. He was with Abraham. He looked like a great guy. But then we find him in a cave getting drunk and having incestuous sex with both his daughters. And we get two evil nations coming from this. And this all started with Lot looking out over the plains towards the Dead Sea there and seeing all this beautiful green grass and all this cattle and thinking, I can make lots of money here. So as I was about to say, Despite all this, the New Testament calls Lot a righteous man, albeit a righteous man who made some bad choices. So this shows the graciousness of our God and how our salvation is based on better or unconditional promises. So our salvation is guaranteed. We can mess our lives up. But if we are truly saved, if we are truly born again, God will not let our soul be lost. So it says, also, come out of her, my people. This call for believers to depart from Babylon and the evil world economic system is repeated many times in the scriptures. And so, as Isaiah 52, verse 11, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from her, be clean, 
you who bear the vessels of the Lord. So it's talking to the priests. But aren't we priests too? Aren't we bearing the vessels of the Lord? We're ministering to people. We have no business to be connected to this world, to be attached to the things of this world. Flee from the midst of Babylon and everyone save his life. Jeremiah 50 verse 8. Again, this is just before the destruction of literal Babylon at the time of the Babylonian Empire. My people, go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. So, again, my people, yeah, go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself. So we have to get ourselves out of there, right? It's our choice to get in, it's our choice to get out. Otherwise, we will suffer from the fierce anger of the Lord. In a temporary sense, okay? Not eternally, because we've been forgiven. Now, do not be unlikely yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? That's 2 Corinthians 6.14. And the last one is Ephesians 5.11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So that's what we're supposed to do, is expose these works, this evil world system for what it is, and have nothing to do with it. And in verse 5 it says, For her sins have reached to heaven. So <laughs> the sins of commercial Babylon was like the Tower of Babel. They just kept getting higher and higher. God has remembered her iniquities, also in verse 5. This is the destiny of the materialistic world, the evil world system. God will remember your sin. If you're not a believer, God will remember your sin. But what does he say about the believer? He says in Hebrews 8.12, I will remember their sins no more. So in contrast, Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So as an application for us, for the unbeliever there remains certain judgment for sin. For the believer there is certainly no judgment for sin. We're just as certain, but it's the opposite. We are certain that we have no judgment for our sin on an eternal level. And nothing is going to keep us out of heaven from being in God's presence forever. Now, Revelation 18, verses 6 and 7 says, Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will see no sorrow. So it says, render to her just as she rendered to you. So that Greek word there, render, is apodidomi. And it literally means to pay debt, to give back that which is due. So God will give Babylon exactly what she deserves and repay double according to her works. Now if you go to to Exodus 22.4-9 if you have stolen something sometimes you have to pay double in the case of a theft Guzik says this is perhaps a commentary on how Babylon has made her wealth through dishonest dealings and that's pretty common in this world today too repay her double according to her works in verse 7 it says Live luxuriously, which speaks of self-indulgence. 
it says glorified herself, and it says queen, it speaks of pride. And the third thing there, it says, I am no widow and will see no sorrow. And that speaks of the avoidance of suffering. So here we have three sinful characteristics of the world system. There's pride. If we're in the world system, we're tempted to glorify ourselves. We're tempted to indulge ourselves, to live luxuriously. And we're tempted to avoid suffering. So they're the hallmarks of this world system. Whereas as Christians, it should be the opposite. We should be denying ourselves, we should be humble, and should be willing to suffer. So again, this world system is from Satan, and it's opposite to the kingdom of God. Verse 8, Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. So one day, and in other places this is one hour, Basically, it's going to be quick, it's going to be sudden, and it's going to be complete. Utterly burned with fire. And it also says in verse 8, For strong is the Lord who judges her. You will not escape God's judgment. If you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, then you will not escape God's judgment. Their day is coming. So this gives us comfort when we are persecuted by this evil world economic system. We are talking before about the censoring of good Christian websites and things like that, you know. They'll be repaid for that. Their day is coming. And just a reminder, and we talked about this last week, it's God himself who judges and destroys the commercial economic system, and that's in contrast to the religious system being destroyed by the economic system or government under the rule the control of the Antichrist earlier on at the midpoint of the tribulation. The religious system is destroyed first at the midpoint of the tribulation and the economic system is destroyed at the end. Now, verses 9 to 20 describe the world mourning Babylon's fall or destruction and it basically describes three groups of people lamenting, crying, wailing, Morning, throwing dust over their heads, all that kind of stuff. You get the picture. And it's all because this one world economic or commercial system is destroyed. So the three groups are the kings of the earth, they're the rulers, the merchants of the earth, and every shipmaster. So the merchants are the ones who are doing all the buying and selling. So verses 8 and 9, it says... The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And we're not talking about literal Babylon, we're talking about the city that's ruling the world during the tribulation, most likely Rome. But standing at a distance for fear of torment. So the picture it gives us here is there's heat and smoke of her burning is so great that the kings must stand at a distance. So some have speculated that it could be an atomic weapon and you can't get close to it because of the radiation, the fallout, all that kind of stuff. We don't know that speculation, but you'll probably hear that. Whatever 
means that God uses to destroy this city, and it is identified as a literal city, it's just not Babylon, the destruction is complete and fearful. And alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city. So this evil world economic system, it seems so strong, so solid, so secure, so real and so dependable. It's just like money in the bank. You heard that saying? It's like money in the bank. Well, I'm going to tell you that there will be a day where there will be no money in the bank because there will be no bank. Everything that people worked for and lived for will have been wiped out in one hour. In a moment. Again, it's a good reminder that we are foolish to put our trust in the things of this satanic world system, this cosmos. And think about us today. You work all your life and you got all oh, money in the bank. What happens to your bank account when you die? It's the same as at the end of the tribulation, you know? It's gone. Can't take it with you. And then verses 8 to 17. And this is talking about the merchants of the earth. So it says, And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk, scarlet, and every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, Cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. That's a long list. It's talking mainly about luxury goods. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. And you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment. Again, this destruction is going to be pretty intense. Weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. It all comes to nothing. Powerful passage. So verses 12 and 15. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, wailing. So this is the reaction of the unbelievers still alive at the end of the tribulation. It's like someone has died. They have lost their first love. Their hearts, their love and their affections are so strongly bound to the things of the world that they are weeping, mourning and wailing over their loss of income, loss of the standard of living, loss of employment. Everything they were seeking in this world system is gone. Everything they worked so hard to achieve is gone. So just try to imagine the emptiness that they will experience. This is the same emptiness that every unbeliever experiences when they die. They can take nothing with them. It's not just for those who experience this judgment at the end of the tribulation. Every unbeliever who dies, everything they've lived for down here Every drink, every joint, every bit of sex, family, job, career, anything that they found satisfaction in, it's gone. Every bit is just finished. People put their efforts into football and basketball 
and all kinds of things. But when they die, it's gone. They can't get any more satisfaction from those things anymore. And verse 12, it says, merchandise and gold and silver. So, as I said, most of it is luxuries, not necessities. So it's not about the things I need, it's about the things I want. And there's a quote from Valvord. It says, The combined picture is one of complete abandonment to the wealth of this world and complete disregard of the God who gave it. Pretty relevant. And it also says in verse 13, And bodies are souls of men. So the prophets of commercial Babylon have come through cruelly using others. And you see this around the world today, slave labor, you know, sweatshops in China, all that kind of stuff. And there's more applications too. We have human trafficking, prostitution, pornography, you know, all those kind of things. So this world system is no respecter of dignity and that we are created in God's image, you know. So, verse 14, it also says, you shall find them no more at all. So if you're living for the luxuries of commercial Babylon, represented by this evil world economic system, you will be tormented eternally by the absence of those luxuries that you once craved. You shall find them no more at all. So I haven't really thought about hell this way, but ultimately hell will be a place of unfulfilled desire and emptiness. Yes, it will be a place of torment, but in addition to that, it will be a place of unfulfilled desire, of emptiness. And again, in verse 17, it says, For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. So, this is a serious warning. It's a wake-up call. Everything that we invest in this evil, earthly, temporary world system will eventually come to nothing. So, what's the opposite? Invest your lives, my life, my money, my talents, and my time into the kingdom of God so we won't be ashamed when he calls us to be with him. And verse 17 also says in one hour, it says back there one day, but here it's one hour. It's intense, it's quick, it's going to be sudden. It's repeating this again and again and again. It's going to be quick, it's going to be sudden and final. And at chapter 18, verses 17 to 19, it says, this is today talking about shipmasters. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. So, again, we've covered most of the content in these verses in the other ones. They've lost their source of income. It happens quickly. So we go on to verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you, holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Firstly, and you holy apostles and prophets, this Babylon is not the literal Babylon in Iraq. Yes, it did start there, but it's not going to finish there. Here God makes it responsible for the persecution and murders of all the saints, prophets and the apostles, yeah? 
just like he did the world religious system in Revelation chapter 17. So obviously Babylon, the literal city of Babylon, is not responsible for all those deaths of the prophets and apostles. So another evidence is this is a mystery Babylon. And it also says in verse 20, rejoice over her. So should God's people rejoice when judgment comes? Well, yes and no. No in the sense that we rejoice that, oh, that person really got hit hard or that person really suffered a lot because of that. No. We rejoice in the righteous judgment of God because it brings resolution. It brings justice. And as believers, we are made the image of God and God is a God who loves justice. He loves to see things put right. And that's our motivation for rejoicing in the judgments of God. He's putting things right. It's fair. It's good. Chapter 18, verses 21 to 23. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. So this idea of grabbing a millstone and throwing it into the sea is found in other places in the scriptures. Jeremiah wrote a scroll, basically the book of Jeremiah, and instructed a guy called Sariah to bind a stone to the scroll and cast it into the Euphrates. And the message was in Jeremiah 51, 61 to 64, Thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. So it shall sink and will not rise. So once this well system is destroyed, it will never ever rise again. It's gone. And there's another reference to millstone, which I thought I might just refer to. It's Matthew 18.6. It says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So how does this apply to the economic Babylon? Well, what's economic Babylon been doing for centuries, for millennia? It's been deceiving people causing the little ones who believe in me to sin. He's causing the people of God to sin. So what does God do? He gets a millstone and chucks it into the sea. This world economic system is leading people into sin. Verse 21. The great city Babylon shall be thrown down and not be found anymore, so someday it's going to pass away and you'll never see it again. Now, as believers, when this system is destroyed, when we leave this system, when we leave this world, we will only be hurt or affected to the extent that we have invested ourselves into this system. We'll talk about it in a minute again. Verse 21 and 23 refers to these statements 
shall not be heard, shall not be found anymore, shall not be heard in you anymore, shall not shine in you anymore. So this is graphic and poetic language describing how the industry and commerce of Babylon will come to an end. And verse 23, it also says, by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. So sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia, which means to prepare drugs. So the lure of commercial Babylon is like a drug addiction. It's fed by deceptive advertising. And the last verse, verse 24, is the ultimate reason for commercial Babylon's judgment. She has killed the prophets and saints. So it says in verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So, very clearly, when it says, In her was found the blood of prophets and saints, referring to the believers, the extent of this charge is another indication that this great city is symbolic of the world system at large. Again, there is no one city that is responsible for all who are slain on the earth. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints. You know, God takes the persecution and death of his people as a personal offense. If you're attacking them, you're attacking me. That's what he said. So, application and conclusion. I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, read that again. It says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will have a reward. But if the work is burned up, the believer or builder will suffer great loss. The builder, the believer, will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So <laughs> how Lindsay commented or joked that there will be many of us who smell like smoke in heaven. Not literally, of course. Yes, my salvation is based on unconditional promises. It's guaranteed. But my eternal reward and my capacity to enjoy heaven and my relationship with God for eternity in heaven is based on my choices now. God will never force me to love him. I must choose to love him. And it all starts with reading the Bible, God's love letter to me and you. And a lot of people I talk to don't read the Bibles very much. I think it's a big problem. And I'm just going to address that now. Why should we read the Word? Okay. Well, it's how He speaks to us. If we're not reading the Word of God, or well, if I'm not reading the Word of God, then I'm not listening to God. It's how He speaks to me. So if you go through John 14 to 16, you get this logic. You can pull this out of it. The more I read the Bible, the more I know about God and how awesome he is and how much he loves me. The more I know about who God is and his love for me, the more I will grow to love and appreciate him. The more I love God, the greater my desire will be to obey him. The more I obey God, the more I will be abiding with or walking in fellowship with God. We think the same. We have the same desires, the same thoughts. Love the same things and hate the same things. The more I abide with Christ, the more fruit I will bear, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. The more fruit I bear, the more God's love flows through me, the more glory I will bring to God. 
the more glory and honor I'll bring to God. So everything that I do that brings honor and glory to God brings with it eternal reward, satisfaction and contentment. It's not something that's going to pass away. It's something I can take with me. So honoring God results in an eternal kind of joy, peace and love that the world cannot give and nor can it take it away. So if the world didn't give it to you, it can't take it away. But if God gives it to you, you've got it forever. So what do we need to do? Read the word and obey the word. And there's, you know, in my experience, there's seemingly few who actually take the time to read the Bible for themselves and even fewer who both read it and choose to obey it. And I'm just going to have a look at quickly a verse from Mark. It's talking about the story of the rich young ruler as an example of someone who actually bothered to seek the word of God to know what God said about eternal life, but remained unwilling to obey the word of God. So Mark 10, 21 and 22. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. So the principle is true every time. If we reject God's will, we'll end up sad, depressed, unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and discontent. We will have what we want in this world, but be empty on the inside. I was listening to someone's testimony, and they were saying when they were in the world and chasing the things of the world, they were thinking to themselves, really? Is this all there is? Is this as good as it gets? Isn't there more to it than this? It can't be just as bland and as boring as this. So I'm just going to finish by reading Colossians 3, 1 to 10. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. That's the eternal. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things, the desires lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Now these are the things that are associated with this world system, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world system. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming. Remember, if we share in the sins of the world, we will share in the judgments of this world system. Yeah. Verse 7, You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. So put off the old, put on the new. Learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Father, Lord, we don't want to be caught up in this world system. We don't want to be deceived and told a lie and persuaded to invest in something that's a bad investment. 
something that's going to give no return, something that's going to leave us empty and dry and just ruin our lives, Father, in the long run. So help us to think of Lot and him getting himself involved in this commercial world system and all the evil that's a part of it and then losing everything. Lord, we don't want to be like that. And there's a lot of people like that who are Christians but who are stuck with their love for the world and they're not putting into practice their love for God. So Father, we just pray that we will not be taken in by this world system. Lord, as Ephesians says, we should be exposing the evil and staying away from it. So help us to be pure, keep our eyes on the things of God, the things of heaven, the eternal things, we pray. And to choose to love you and not this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.